look at a messianic prophecy, and this is just chapter 10. Somebody came into my office just a few moments ago, and they said, you know what? I just read Zechariah 10, and there's no way you're going to cover all this tonight. I'm going to do my best because we want to finish this up, uh, hopefully, in the month of June. And if not, we'll just keep moving right ahead. A number of years ago, I was on my way to, to preach in Greece. And I was going to be speaking for two weeks in Greece at a series of camps at a beautiful coastal, coastal city called Portorafte. And I had a layover. I had a long layover in Brussels, Belgium. And so while I was just kind of touring through Brussels... I really, it was one of those weird times where, you know, I've never heard an audible voice of the Lord. I've told you before, I'm not very mystical, but I just knew that I knew we were supposed to, to bring a missions team to Brussels, to Brussels, Belgium. And when I sought counsel and advice, I said, no, don't go. Nobody ever gives their heart to the Lord in Brussels. This is a hard place, da, 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 all the negative things that people could tell you. Well, it just so happened that the anniversary celebration of the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo was coming up. So we had comic books printed up with a clear message. I mean, full-size comic books. We had comic books printed up with a full-size message about the greatest battle ever fought. And then at the end of that message, there was a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that was the greatest battle ever fought. We took a team of students there, and it was absolutely amazing because people were coming from all over the world to come to Waterloo and there were people giving their hearts to Christ. They were begging for our literature. And that started a five-year period of ministry in Belgium that was just absolutely incredible. But one of the stories I remember from that Waterloo event was this. There was a bad storm that came into London. And, of course, you know how in those days messages were not past the way we have with Facebook and Instagram and Instant News, whether it's CNN or Fox, there was a guy on top of Westminster Cathedral doing the old semaphore flags, and he was trying to, to send out a, a good message, a great message, and as he was doing the flags, the fog rolled in, and all he got spelled out was, Wellington defeated, and all of a sudden, the news spread across the British Empire that England had been defeated, Wellington had been defeated, Napoleon had conquered. When the fog cleared and he was able to start doing his flags again, it was Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. What a change, right? What a change. And today I hear people, I had someone today tell me, says, you know, I just feel like the church has lost this generation. And I thought to myself about Waterloo and Belgium, how people were telling me nobody gives their heart to the Lord in Brussels. And I just recently talked to the pastor in Liège that we worked with for so long, and we had a great reunion of the phone, and we've been just kind of riding back and forth. I want you to know, never, never give up. Never give up on the gospel. Christ is not defeated. His church is not defeated. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. However, I've got to be honest with you. There have been times when I've been praying, and you can let me know either by clicking yes or something like that on your Facebook page tonight or here at the hand. How many of you have ever been praying and it feels like a fog has kind of rolled in and you just don't seem to get an answer from the Lord, right? I remember Becky and I were driving across Valdosta, Georgia one night. We had been praying about something, and I we have been praying a long time, and we were at a place called Five Points in Valdosta. And I said to Becky, I said, I feel like there's a fog that's just rolled in. I just, just like I'm not, I just don't know what to do. And we pulled over, and we talked, and we held hands, and we prayed together again. There are things that I prayed for in life, and it seems like the answer has been a long time coming. 
what I've learned is this. God always has a reason. Always trust the Lord. Now, if you're young, that's kind of hard to hear. But when you've lived as long as I have and you've experienced as many answers to prayers as I have, you've learned to trust the timing of the Lord. But if you're in a place tonight and you're even my age and you're desperate, let's say you've got a heart condition. Let's say you've got a health condition. Let's say you've got a child that's sick. You still want that answer right away. There's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, help right now. You know, I need help right now. But if the help doesn't come in the timing and the way that you're praying that it does, continue to trust the Lord. And when Zechariah made this prophecy, he's going to talk about, now listen, if you've read chapter 10 like I asked you to do today, if you've read chapter 10, Zechariah is prophesying. Remember, Jerusalem is a heap of rubble. Remember, he prophesies, your enemies are going to be trodden down like mud in the street. And with paved roads, you probably don't know what that's like. But if you've ever lived on a dirt road, you know what that's like. You know, stuck cars, stuck wheels, you know. But he says, your enemies are going to be trod down like Mother Street. And he says, there are going to be so many Jews. And remember, the Jews have been decimated. They slaughtered so many Jews. They killed all of the royal leaders. They took the young men from Jerusalem that they thought were going to be able to accomplish something. They made eunuchs of them, and they took them to Babylon. So the population had really, really been decimated, kind of like Hitler did with the Jews during World War II. And he says there are going to be so many Jews in the land, there's not going to hardly... He's, he's prophesying a population explosion. And I'll guarantee you there were some of the people listening to him going, that prophet's got his head in the clouds. Remember my illustration? The semaphore, Wellington defeated, that's all they saw. And I promise you, Maybe you, during this series I've been preaching called I Promise, God's Promises to Us, I promise you, some of you may have thought, Pastor's got his head in the clouds. I want to tell you something. I don't have my heads in the cloud. I have my head in the Word of God. And what God says He's going to do, He's going to do. Somebody say, come on, victory tonight. He's going to do it. Well, let's pray. Let's get into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the next few minutes, I just ask you to speak to our hearts, help us to grow, help us to learn, and help us to apply these lessons to our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Number one, seek God and trust Him. That's the message of Zechariah chapter 10. Seek God, trust Him. To seek God means that you're going to obey God. I was talking with a Jewish friend of mine today. He called me just as I was pulling into the uh, parking lot. <clears throat> and he said to me, he said, this weekend is the celebration of uh, Shavuot. He said, we're going to be giving God thanks for the giving of the law. When God gave the law to Moses. And he said, as a, on this, this two-day celebration, he said, we will spend all night studying the word of the Lord. So I called him by name. I said, are you going to stay up all night reading the Bible, studying the Bible? He says, well, I'm going to stay up a good deal of the night. You know, I probably won't be up all night. And I told him about one night when I tried to stay up all night while I was in college just worshiping the Lord, and they came in and found me laying on the gym floor the next morning sound asleep. You know, I tried, but I failed. My point is, they're celebrating the giving of the word of the Lord. And when they're celebrating this, one of the things that my friend, his name is Adam, Adam said to me today, you know, God gave Adam the tablets, and he came down, and he, because of Israel's sin, he broke them, and then he had to go back up to the mountain where God gave him the tablets again. And I thought to myself, a cloud on the mountain, 
Moses had disappeared in the cloud. The people of God gave up. And it's tempting sometimes to give up when we don't see God working in our timetable. To seek God means to obey God. And Adam told me, he says, during this time, we simply say, we do before we understand. And so I said, Adam, does that mean we obey before we understand? He said, that's another way of putting it. To seek God means to obey God. We seek God, not happiness, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said if we would seek God, we would find happiness. If we would seek God, we'd find all the things that we want in life. But remember, to seek God means to obey God. We understand this as parents. Haven't we told our children when they were small, I know you don't understand, but I need you to trust me. I need you to obey me. It's not a matter of whether you understand. I need you to obey. Sometimes your life could depend upon that. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer has the key, listen to this, prayer has the key of nature as well as the key of heaven hanging at her belt. So God says in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, ask the Lord for rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds, and he will send showers of rain, so every field becomes a lush pasture. Household gods give worthless advice. Fortune tellers predict only lies. Interpreters of dreams pronounce falsehoods that give no comfort. So my people are wandering like lost sheep. They are attacked because they have no shepherd. What is he saying there? He says, seek me, trust me. But what happens is if people don't see God, it just tends to happen this way. If people don't see God working on their timetable, if they don't see God doing things the way they want God, they turn to false gods. They turn to idols. They turn maybe to astrology. They turn to, to fortune tellers. We've seen that happen in America because people are looking for something instant. And it may provide a little relief at the moment, but it never provides the long-term answers that we need because whether it's astrology or another religion, whether if it seeks you away from the Lord, if it leads you away from the Lord, it will always lead you to death. And so God says, seek me and trust me. I love what Spurgeon says. Prayer is the key of heaven hanging on your belt. Now, everybody that knows me knows I hate keys. I hate to carry keys. I hate to be given keys. I have often said, Jesus should never give me the keys because I'll lose them. You know, I'll lay them down somewhere and I'll lose them. My secretary in Georgia sent a message to my secretary, new secretary here and says, don't ever give pastor a set of keys. He will lose them, okay? It's just, you know, keys, when you think about that, it unlocks doors. It unlocks gates. The key to heaven is the prayer key that you and I have to go to the Lord in prayer. But there is a law, now listen, you might want to write this down on the side. There is a law of the dual interpretation of prophecy. And that simply means there is a word being spoken to the people at time, but there is also a prophetic word here for us as well. The time of the latter rain is always in the Bible symbolic of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The time of the latter rain is always a symbolic outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just, just, just so, to satisfy my curiosity, how many of you have ever heard that phrase before, the latter rain? Okay, maybe about half of us in here. There was a song, I'm asking rain in the time of the latter rain. Let it fall, Lord, let it fall. Oh, flood my soul with joy divine and fill this longing soul of mine. What's it about? It's a sim symbolism of the Old Testament that the New Testament affirms of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
So what does the latter rain do? It hastens the harvest and it calls us to faithfulness. It hastens the harvest and it calls us to faithfulness. When we're praying and we're asking the Lord for rain at the time of the latter rain, those Jewish people understood Israel, look at me for just a second, this is important. Israel depended upon rain from heaven, the spring rains and the autumn rains to bring in their crops. It wasn't like Egypt where they had a continual source of water in the Nile River that they irrigated the barren land from. And God often said to them, if you obey me, I will send rain from heaven at their times. If you disobey me, I will withhold rain. And so when they were praying for rain, agriculturally speaking, they were praying for the harvest, that the harvest would be hastened. Stop and think. This weekend is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was the celebration of the harvest, of the coming in of the harvest. A number of years ago, I was in Israel about this time, and I went to a cultural celebration of Pentecost, and it was all about bringing in the wheat harvest, the time of the... He says, ask me for rain at the time of the rain. But he's also saying, if you follow chapter 10, it's not just about agriculture. It's about us being faithful to God. So when we're asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're not just praying for a, somehow or another we'll get goosebumps. We're not just praying that somehow or another we'll have a great service. We're saying, Lord, we want to see lost people come to know you. And Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to do before we understand. The second thing rain does is it clears the air and it clears our vision. It clears the air and it clears our vision. And you know how rain just kind of makes it. When I got out of my car this afternoon in Dearborn after a big rain, it rained all the way up there. I stepped outside and I wasn't even thinking about the message, but I thought, I love that smell right after it rains. It clears the air, but it also clears. The Holy Spirit gets us refocused on what life is about. The third thing is the rain does is it softens the soil because in that time of the summer, it would be baking the soil. Now it softens the soil, but the rain of the Holy Spirit softens our heart. I want a tender heart, don't you? I want a sweet spirit. The fourth thing is it does is it brings an abundant harvest, and it also brings abundant blessings into our lives. This series that I've been on called I Promise, it's all about the blessings that God has for you and I. But this promise only affects people who pray. If you will read Zechariah 10 carefully, this promise is for the people who pray. The second thing I'd like you to see from Zechariah 10 tonight is that God will provide a strong and a stable shepherd, and the shepherd will be known as the Messiah. A strong and a stable shepherd, and the shepherd will be known as the Messiah. Do you remember what we looked at two weeks ago? Keith did a great job preaching last week, but do you remember what we looked at two weeks ago? We looked at the prophecy of the Messiah coming in riding on a colt. Remember that? And remember I tried to use some humor there and said, you know, Becky recently I was talking about how gray I was going. She says, you're my silver stallion. And I said, I really like that. I'm, I, wanna, you know, I want you to stick with that nickname. It would have been awful if she'd called me her gray donkey. And yet that's what Jesus came riding in on was the back of a donkey. And remember the donkey was the animal of the common people. Israel was forbidden to have kings and chariots, excuse me, to have horses and chariots. Israel's, it was until after Solomon that Israel's kings began to ride horses. And this prophetic prediction of the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on the back 
of a donkey. And Jesus fulfilled that literally in the New Testament. All four of the Gospels refer to this. So he keeps up again. He keeps us up again with this promise of the Messiah. And why is he doing that? Because Israel has had some faithless shepherds. And the anger of God is generated. Look at me. This is important. The anger of God is generated against false shepherds, greedy shepherds, shepherds greedy for money, shepherds greedy for power, kings and priests who had led Israel astray. Remember, the northern kingdom had been had just about completely been lost because of their unfaithfulness to God. The Judaic kingdom had been had been more faithful, but even in time, they were led astray. God is saying he's going to bring them back together. Paul is going to refer to this over and over, as well as Jesus will refer to this, as God is going to be bringing the Gentiles in and the, Jew, and the Jews together, the, the wild olive branch grafted into the natural olive tree, natural olive vine. So this is a very, very heavy prophetic prophecy here. So, what we want to look at tonight in this verse of Scripture is look at uh, verse 3 through 5 with me. For the Lord of heaven's armies has arrived to look after Judah his flock. Circle that phrase, look after. The Lord of heaven's armies has arrived to look after Judah his flock. He will make them strong and glorious like a proud war horse in battle. And from Judah will come the cornerstone, the tent peg, and the bow for battle. Circle that phrase, the cornerstone, the tent peg, and the bow for battle. You can either circle three, three, words, three things there or just make it one big circle. And all the rulers. Look at what he says about these rulers. They will be like mighty warriors in battle, trampling their enemies under their feet. Since the Lord is with them as they fight, they will overthrow even the enemy's horsemen. What is one of the things, speaking about the latter rain, that being symbolic of the Holy Spirit, what is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does? He helps us to understand the Word of God. He teaches us the Word of God. What is one of the gifts? We always talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but we oftentimes don't talk about the ascension gifts of the Spirit that God gave to the church. He gave five ascension gifts to this church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So God gave these ascension gifts, and he equips them so that they can, according to Ephesians 4, equip the church for the work of the ministry. In other words, we don't use these words often, but he equips us like soldiers. Pastors are to equip churches like soldiers so they go out in the world not to wage war against people, but to wage war against principalities and the powers of darkness because we have been called to be fishers of men. And too often the church has made the mistake of ignoring the powers of hell and making enemies out of people. When the scripture is real clear, we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're called to love our neighbor as, our, as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Everybody. Jesus made that real clear with the story of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? By the way, it was the Samaritan that helped the Jew. So it's important that we grasp all of this. This is all right here in chapter 10. I love this so much. Well, real quickly, Christ is the cornerstone, which simply means that Christ holds everything together, the prophets and the uh, apostles. He holds them all together. Christ is the tent peg. In other words, the keys of leadership have been given to Christ. Christ is the battle bow. 
And that imagery there is that Christ is, is through prayer in the Spirit. It's through the Word of God that we conquer our enemies. It's not through gossip. It's not through running people down. It's not through hurting people. It's through blessing people. Christ is the head of the church. And what he says is saying here in Zechariah 10, he said, I'm going to give you good shepherds. That's what he's saying to Israel at the time. I'm going to give you good shepherds. Now, now stop for just a second and look at me. But the battle is never over because in chapter 11, next week we're going to look at that if we get through this tonight. We're going to look at how that the good leadership that Zerubbabel was given to Israel, that the people turned against that leadership. And so it's always important to understand, never take for granted what God is doing in your marriage, in your home, with your children, in your church. Never take for granted what God is doing. Prayer is the key, Spurgeon said. Ask me for rain in the time of the latter rain. I am continually praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, upon my family and myself. The Bible says, and that emphasis is ongoing, that we should be filled with the Spirit. That emphasis should be, be filled continually. I, you know, I joke about this sometimes. Sometimes people will say, well, why does it say that? And I say, well, I don't know about you, but I leak. You know, I leak. I, I leaked today. Ashamedly, I leaked today. Somebody almost ran me off the road, and I said right out loud, and I was on the telephone with a friend of mine, and I said, if I had an SUV, I'd push him in a ditch. You know, just boom, cut right in on me, and I just, you know, I leaked. So I asked the Lord to forgive me and fill me back up before I got here tonight so I wouldn't be a hypocrite. Christ will provide shepherds after his own heart. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. And I will give you shepherds, shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. A few years ago, I was introduced to a theologian by the name of Marva J. Doan. Marva is uh, disabled. She's a wonderful, wonderful person in mind. Uh, she wrote a couple of books with Eugene Peterson that you know I'm a big fan of. Listen to what she wrote. We keep centering our lives in Christ, which always begets new repenting for our failures and enduring belief in his kingdom, forgiveness, and transformation and renewal. Saints are equipped not only with the knowledge of Christ, but with Christ's own manner of being and way of life. Is that in your outline tonight? Yes. That quote is? Underline that. Christ's own manner of being and way of life. Let me say it again. Christ's own manner and being and way of life. I want that, friends. My wife wants that in my life. My children want that in my life. My grandchildren want that in my life. You want that in my life as your pastor. Can I tell you something? Your family wants that in your life, and your neighbor wants that in your life. That Christ's own manner of being and way. And then finally tonight, and the second point is, God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, we've talked about this in this series we've been in called I Promise. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. How would you say a resounding yes? Not like that. Yes! yes. I remember when our daughter's adoption papers were signed, we were sitting in Judge Culpepper's office. She was sitting in my lap, and she, as soon as he said it, and he says, said it's all finished, Amy went... 
yes, just pumped both fists, you know, like Tiger Woods. And it was such a happy moment. And Judge Culpepper said, I wish that everything was like this, you know. A resounding yes in Christ. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So sometimes when I'm preaching and you feel like saying amen, just go yes, 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 okay? And I'll know what you're doing. And then finally tonight, God promises renewal and restoration to repentant people. God promises renewal and restoration to repentant people. A number of years ago, I wrote a restoration program for people who had failed in ministry. And the whole key to that was upon this word, repentance. Restoration and renewal. Restoration and renewal. But it comes following repentance. Now, I would, this is a little tricky part, so I want you to, to follow along with me. God had scattered his people, but the reason he scattered his people was to save his people. If he had allowed them to continue in their sins, they would have self-destructed. Yesterday, somebody called me or texted me with a great question, and that was, you know, what's the source of evil? There are two words that are translated evil in the King James Version. They differ by two consonants. One of those words that the King James translated as evil actually means calamity or disaster, where it says, I, the Lord, in the King James Version, create evil. That's not what that word in Hebrew meant. It meant disaster or calamity. The word evil, because God is not evil, God cannot be tempted with evil, and God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. That's another word, but it only differs by two consonants, so sometimes people got them confused in translation. And remember, language has changed a lot since 1611. If you haven't been reading the King James Version Bible, you know, it's comforting to me. I love to read it. I grew up on it. But it's, it's very different. So God scattered. God bought calamity. Look at me. God bought calamity. I just referenced. I didn't tell you the disgusting ways in which Israel sinned. A lot of times people will say to me, this is such a bad, bad time. There are a lot of bad things happening, but this is a much better time than what it was for Israel at that time. This is a much better time than what it was for the early church in their time. So don't ever get your head down. Don't ever become like Puddleglum in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Keep your eyes up. Stay focused on the cross. Sometimes God scatters to save, but when God scatters, he scatters people in weakness and he restores them in strength. They went out a weak and defeated nation. They were coming back. And what he's prophesying here, and this is the reason maybe the people thought his head is in the clouds. He's going to restore them and he's going to bring a Messiah. And today the church is triumphant in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen tonight. Yeah. Thirdly, God gives joy. Now, I need to read this last passage because it's so important to pull everything together. I will, this is God, I will strengthen Judah and save Israel. I will restore them because of my, Israel, of my compassion. Remember I told you about the division of the two kingdoms, how Israel strayed first and then Judah strayed. I will restore them because of my compassion. It will be as though I had never rejected them, for I am the Lord their God who will hear their cries. The people of Israel will become like mighty warriors. 
Their hearts will be made happy as if by wine. Their children, too, will see it and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. When I whistle to them, they will come running, for I have redeemed them. Don't think like whistling for a dog. Remember, I just talked to you about and on Sunday morning service, how the shepherd would go out whistling and his sheep knew his voice and they would follow him. When I whistle to them, they will come running for I've redeemed them. From the few who are left, they will grow as numerous as they were before. Though I have scattered them like seed among the nations, they will still remember me in distant lands. They and their children will survive and return again to Israel. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will resettle them in Gilead and Lebanon until there is no more room for them at all. For them all, they will safely pass through the sea of distress, for the waves of the sea will be held back, the waters of the Nile will draw up, the pride of Assyria will be crushed, the rule of Egypt will end. A couple of things there, important to get there, and we won't dwell on it. But Gilead and Lebanon, the two borders against the two kingdoms that continuously assaulted Israel, Egypt and Assyria. So that's what he's saying there. They're saying, it's like us saying we... We hear this all the time. We want our borders secure. We talk here about secure borders in our political conversations all the time. He's saying you're going to have secure borders. By my power, I will make my people strong, and by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. I, the Lord, have spoken. And why will that happen? When will that happen? It's beginning to happen in our day. It began happening a few years before I was born when Israel became a nation. We're seeing prophecy fulfilled in our eyes. When Jesus comes again, after that ultimate battle of Armageddon, there will be a thousand years of peace. The Messiah will reign. We've talked about that before. This is a powerful promise, not only to the people of Israel. At that time, at that law, that dual prophecy, Jesus writing in, Jesus being held as Messiah. But here's the battle. I want to come back to what I opened up with about the story of Napoleon at Waterloo. The battle Jesus fought was not fought with bows and arrows. It was fought at the cross where he took your sins and my sins upon himself. And by dying in our place, he defeated Satan, took back from him what we had given to him through our sin, the keys. Remember he said the keys. I have the keys to death Hell, the grave. He says, I've got it all. All authority has been given to me by the Father. He gives that authority to us on that day of Pentecost, the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the rain and the latter rain that came to the church. Isn't this rich? It's all right here in Zechariah 10. So what would I do with this? Number one, pray faithfully, pray consistently. Pray faithfully, pray consistently. Every day, Follow the Lord's example that he taught us how to pray. Repent of any known and hidden sins. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. I like what David said here. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. If you'd have told me, I'm just, I'm just being real here. If you'd have told me today when I got in my car and I headed to Dearborn that I was going to say, if I had an SUV, I'd push him into a ditch. I said, no, that's not in my heart. But all of a sudden, that garbage just stirred up because the waters may look calm and clear, but when the storm comes, it stirs up everything and what's on the bottom comes to the surface, right? And so it's important, Lord, forgive me of not only the sins I know about, but forgive me of the sins I don't know about. That's the last time I'm going to confess that sin to you tonight. 
pray confessing your complete depend. God, it all depends upon you. That doesn't mean we're pietists. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. Prayer is work. Sharing our faith is work. Building godly homes is work. You know, it's, there's a craft to being a good dad, to being a good mother, to being a good husband, to being a good wife. There's a craft to being a good pastor, just like there's a craft to being a good carpenter or a good pilot. So do your job well and depend upon God to give you the rain in the time of the latter rain. Keep your heart soft to give you the harvest that you're looking for. Remember the promises of God as you pray and remember that God is the source of all our blessings. It looks like I've gone about five minutes over. I hope you'll forgive me for that, but I'll probably do it again. So just <laughs> still keep giving me grace. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts, and we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, God, for the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this weekend, God, would you make us more mindful of this than ever before. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Amen.